Welcome back, everyone, to the Living Streams podcast. I'm Brandon, and today I'm joined by our youth ministry team, who consists of Alex Seekins, our high school pastor, and Jeremy Thompson, our junior high pastor. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Brandon. We're glad to be here. Yeah, it's yeah. Fun, to be here. fun being on here again. I know. It's, it, I feel like it's not been that long for you, Alex. It's it been, hasn't. <laughs> which I didn't fun. realize when I asked you to come on the show the first time that you'd be back in a few weeks, but... David asked you to guest speak, and so so here we are. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a lot of fun. It was I enjoyed it last time, and uh, maybe, you know maybe I'll be back next week too. That's possible. <laughs> I feel like you have a lot to say on a lot of topics. So, but today is going to be really fun because we're talking about sexuality. So we started this series called The Other Hours a few months ago, and I knew this one was coming, and so I was just excited to uh, have a couple guests that might be able to share a different perspective. Um, we're going to have a few different podcasts on this topic, um, but I wanted to start this out by talking about uh, some of the conversation that the youth are having about sexuality. And so if you wouldn't mind just kind of sharing a little bit of your own experience, um, both of you are pretty young. You know, I feel, I feel like we've been, all of us have been youth group not too terribly long ago, but I kind of wanted to, to talk about what, what things have changed in the last like 10, 15, 20 years um, from when we started out in youth group to now both of you are leading youth ministries and kind of how things have changed, how that conversation about sexuality um, may be different now with the introduction of new technology and the introduction of um, today's pop culture as opposed to what it was in the early 2000s or in the 90s. So yeah, let's just, uh, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about your own experience back then and then what it's like now. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think the um, it's funny, it's really easy to see a lot of the differences, uh, and for sure the conversation itself has changed quite a bit. Um, but at, at the core of it, um, who we are and the things we're wrestling with, th those really haven't ever changed. Um, and uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, in the youth group here at Living Streams. David Stockton and Mike Pfeiffer were my youth pastors, um, and went through uh, children's ministry, and went through our youth group. Um, from seventh grade all the way through high school. And then uh, shor shortly after graduating high school, I started volunteering in youth ministry. Then I interned for a year. Uh, then I uh, was the junior high pastor here for three years. And now I'm running out my fifth year as the high school pastor. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think, I think that has given me a unique perspective because I've really been paying attention uh, to the age group of people for quite some time now who are who are just learning this struggle you right you go from in sixth grade for a lot of people this point where I don't really know uh, necessarily even what sex is certainly some do much earlier than that but for right. probably the the majority um, there's a, a relative amount of sexual ignorance and innocence in sixth grade and um, and then through the minefield that is junior high and senior high and trying to figure it out um, and what's been really interesting that I've watched in general with uh, parents and kids um, and figuring out how to parent is, is the, last, uh, the last decade or two has been really difficult for mm -hmm. parents to figure out what to do right. um, and how to address things. And um, because, because things are happening in different venues than they used to happen um, and there's unique situations that are popping up and the kids are... Um, they're wizards when it comes to this or that subject, and the parents are completely ignorant. They don't know what to do. I remember watching uh, years ago junior high uh, parents saying to their kids, okay, we kind of got the message social media bad. I won't let my junior hires on Facebook because Facebook mm -hmm. is bad. Right. But then this uh, you know, Instagram popped up, and junior high parents said, well, it's, it's an app. It's not a social media. This is before social media was all on apps. You know? And mm -hmm. so they had Instagram, and, and all their junior hires had Instagram, and it was a while before anybody even realized Instagram is a social media. And so now you have this incredibly visually driven space. And if you remember, Instagram was a very unsafe space for quite a while mm -hmm. um, in its inception. And then it, it switched from that a little while later, uh, you know, a half a generation of kids later um, from Instagram over to Snapchat, um, right. yeah, yeah. which, you know, in its in its inception, Snapchat uh, was incredibly inappropriate. I mean, it's it's meant for sexual images going back and forth to be deleted. And, and parents, again, said, well, it's not Instagram. It's not Facebook. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, just some some innocent little mm -hmm. app. But this really dangerous thing um uh and, you know not necessarily although certainly dangerous as far as people who might be on there but but really dangerous for the images that are coming to students right yeah, yeah. Um, and parents are completely unaware of this stuff and i um so i think that that's a big shift that's taken place is that parents find themselves now having to go back and learn things that their kids learned very intuitively 
Um, and parents find themselves having to be very aware of what's happening in order to do a good job parenting. Otherwise, you're completely cut off as a parent from the world in which your student is being exposed to messaging about sexuality and their life and what's appropriate and what's good and what's right. Um, and I think it's a really difficult, uh, difficult time. I don't envy parents who are raising yeah. kids right now as things keep changing so quickly. So Right. Yeah, and I like how you said that, that parents have to – they can kind of be behind the, the ball in what their students are being exposed to because years ago when we had questions and maybe when we were growing up, we had to go seek out answers right. and seek out information about these topics. And I feel like um, a big shift that's happened is that now information is seeking out students. Hmm. Um, and and to, really, to really abstain from some of the stuff that's out there, you have to have a a defensive approach mm-hmm. um, because you're kind of getting bombarded by all these images and commercials and um, advertisements and whatever it is, uh, and, it, and it's kind of seeking after you, which I think is a big a big shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that. I mean, we talked about this in the last podcast too. I talked with Ryan about finding rest in an age where you're constantly getting bombarded with with the technology you use. And, and I think the biggest difference between we're all millennials here and now we're, we're, we're dealing with this new generation, Generation Z. And the, the biggest shift is that our generation is the last one who remembers a time we didn't have smartphones, we didn't mm-hmm. have access to the internet readily available at our fingertips. And while we definitely have like been influenced by the technology that came about in junior high, high school for most of us, um, it really is this new generation that does not remember a time where they didn't have instant access to this information. And like you're saying, Jeremy, it's like the information is like just coming at you constantly. Mm-hmm. And so how, how has that changed um, kind of the discourse, I, I think, um, within the church as far as, I mean, we talked for a couple minutes and immediately we started talking about the issue of pornography. Like mm-hmm. it just came up so quickly. And I don't think that would have been the case when um, when we were all in youth group originally. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it, it's been around for a long time, but it, that's something that we automatically go to now, mm-hmm. where that really wasn't quite as much of the conversation maybe even a decade or two decades ago. Um, what, what, what is that biggest shift? What was like the biggest question that you felt like your own peers were asking when you were in junior high and high school? And has, has, that cha- has the questions changed, or how has that, that, all, that all gone down? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think uh, for me growing up, you know, the internet was was the one, as for all of you, and I think it's interesting because there's a, enough of a spread between the three of us that we would have had probably some unique experiences uh, just with how quickly technology and things have developed. Um, but for me, um, you know, being a kid in the 90s, um, there was internet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so there, uh, so, so that, that was happening. That was, you know, pornography was becoming an issue with, with my friends and with my peers. Um, and it was something that was, that was pretty, uh, accessible. Um, at the time outside of the church, there wasn't any conversation about, well, this is a bad and damaging thing. You right. know, it really was, I remember, uh, the prevailing thought in the world was this stuff is good for you. It's healthy. It's great. Everyone should, should, should be doing this all the time. And that thought is still very much there. But what's interesting mm-hmm. is now that it's become so pervasive and, and, um, so ubiquitous in our culture, uh, the world completely apart from Jesus has started to look at it and said, actually, there's some damages here. Uh, there's some things about this that aren't good. Um, and you know, and people who aren't willing to say, oh, well, let's follow Jesus are still willing to say, I think we need to stop looking at pornography because it's actually getting in the way of us in intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and of course there, like I said, there are still plenty of people who would, you know, take the other side of the, of the conversation and say, no, it's still great, it's still healthy, it's still wonderful. Um, but there's study after study after study showing the damaging effects of pornography where when I was growing up, that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. You know, um, all the studies that existed seemed to be from people who were wanting to perpetuate the belief that pornography and masturbation were a positive thing. Um, and now we're starting to see, no, it actually damages your capacity to interact. It it damages, uh, your, your capacity to interact sexually, your capacity Mm -hmm. to experience, um, intimacy. You know, that was one of the things that I talked about a little bit yesterday in, in my message is, um, 
you know, neuroscientists are beginning to talk about um, neuroplasticity and this idea that our brains are moldable and they shift and they change. Um, and, and one of the places where that um, manifests in our minds is in this connection between a particular activity um, and and, a, and a, a result of that activity, whether right, it's a yeah, reward yeah. or a consequence. This is something I talked about a little bit uh, more in depth yesterday. But... Um, and so with pornography, what happens is we're associating this activity of looking at pornography and then the reward of that, internally speaking, is the feelings of sexual arousal and, and pleasure and, um, and, and, and something that is, uh, you know, the, the hormones that are firing off in our brains are the ones that were intended for intimacy. Mm-hmm. So our mind is thinking intimacy, our mind is thinking connection, and we're having this connection with a screen um, and we're, we're being visually stimulated by people we'll never meet. Um, and then we have this novelty, this flipping through images, videos, and things like that, and seeing different people and different acts and uh, different situations, you know, seconds in between. And so our brain develops this connection between sexual intimacy and sexual novelty. Mm-hmm. And that's just not something that can happen in a real relationship. I mean, you know, I would say it's certainly something that's we're meant to have that intimacy within the context of a marriage, but you can even put that aside for a second and just say from the perspective of someone who's not a follower of Jesus, who wants to have, you know, um, good sexual intimacy in a monogamous relationship, um, or in any, or even a polyamorous relationship with right. only a couple of people. No, no people, no group of people or individual, certainly no individual spouse will ever be able to provide the amount of sexual novelty that the internet can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your brain begins to think, man, I need this novelty. I need something different. Um, and there are surveys that have shown pretty consistently that most people who find themselves addicted to pornography a few years down the road, uh, you know, in the privacy of anonymous survey, will will admit that I'm looking at things that I would have found disgusting and morally reprehensible when I first started this addiction. Why? Because they need something new. They need something different. They need something they haven't seen before in order to have that that sense of sexual fulfillment. Um, and it ruins marriages. Totally. It absolutely yeah. ru- ruins marriages. I think I, I don't think we can say that you know the divorce rates in America are. I don't think you can pin them on any one factor. I think there's a number of them, but I certainly think that one of the foundational issues that we're experiencing is the prevalence of pornography addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the lies is that oh, porn is great for your marriage. It's just not. It's not. It absolutely is not. It does not belong in a marriage. It doesn't belong in your heart. Um, and it's ruining your sexuality, and I and I can guarantee that if you can re- that the one of the main barriers to uh, fulfilling sex life in in a relationship in a marriage is a pornography addiction. Mm-hmm. If you get rid of that, I'm not saying it's going to fix everything, but I can guarantee that you're 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 really going to struggle if you're not able to remove that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that same mechanism of that neuroplasticity. Um, that that creates a difficulty when you have an addiction to pornography. It actually also is meant uh, to create a deeper intimacy mm-hmm. in a marriage um, because that that connection, uh, where over here the connection is between um, between me and a screen, over here when we choose to avoid that, when we choose to to walk into what the Lord says is right and what's holy and what science would say is beneficial. Um, what happens is now that connection that's being strengthened is between me and a spouse. And so I am more and more and more satisfied by a spouse instead of, you know, the pornography addiction, which is essentially drinking salt water, hmm. you know, and just leaves you more unsatisfied than you began with because you're wanting more and more and more of something different instead of more and more and more of the same person to whom you're committed. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And if we take all of that and, and apply it specifically to youth today, um, what I was talking about earlier, that it kind of comes chasing after you. Totally, yeah, yeah. If you do research on when people are first getting exposed to pornography, depending on what studies you're looking at, some of them say 11 or 12 years old, um, some of them go as low as 8 years old, mm-hmm. that people are having their first exposure to, to these very damaging images and, vi- and um, videos. And um, uh, as I was doing research on that and, you know, what, what's kind of causing that, um, it was interesting to see that a lot of people were talking about that first exposure and saying, yeah, I was just online and I misspelled something. Mm. And before I knew it, I was seeing these images and videos that I couldn't really understand. And, and they talk about having um, the feelings of, of kind of being scared about what they were seeing, but also 
that that like tempting intrigue to go deeper and mm -hmm. to and to look more and it was just a they were they couldn't even really interpret what they were feeling um but that curiosity kept them coming back and before they knew it they were wrapped up in in a heavy addiction and mm -hmm. and so you're asking or you're talking about what are the questions that the youth are asking and i mean the questions that youth are asking today are are the specific questions are are a little different i would say than maybe what we were asking when we were um, 12 or 13 but i would say that fundamentally every student um, and especially for parents to know that this is the case i would say i can guarantee that every student is asking this question of who can i get answer or where can i get answers hmm. to my questions mm -hmm. and maybe the specific questions that they're asking are different but every student wants to know where they can get answers and um, that was the same for me when i was growing up i uh, the the church was pretty silent on the issue and i had questions totally um, i was yeah. getting a lot of stuff bombarded and and a lot of different answers and people would talk about it and i'm like is that true or not and and so I wanted to know who I could go to answer or to go get answers from. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And the, the scary thing is right now is that the world is is full and, and ready to give our students answers. Now, a lot of times they're bad answers, but they're answers to the questions that they're asking. And and they are full and ready to give those answers. And, and what I've seen is a lot of times um, Christian parents or the church are afraid to to step on those grounds and start mm -hmm. giving answers totally and so they almost make it this taboo topic which for me growing up was very damaging because i thought well i have these questions and i need to get some answers and so i started turning to the internet to get answers mm -hmm. just because i i couldn't find someone to get in, to give me answers um now fortunately down the road my youth pastor stepped in and really made himself someone that I knew I could, uh, that I trusted, that I knew I could get um, mm -hmm. truth from him. And he, he did a really good job of making this topic not taboo um, yeah. and not making it this big, oh, okay, well, we're gonna have the sex talk, so sit down, it's gonna be super awkward. He right. would just talk about it like any other topic, which was so refreshing for me because I'm like, for the first time I'm thinking, oh, you, I can ask these questions mm -hmm. to someone? Okay. I like this. And, and after a while of his faithfulness of, of being there and being willing to, to go into this topic and give real, true answers mm -hmm. and, and be authentic, um, I knew that, okay, well, I can go to him for, for answers. Mm -hmm. um, and I got some questions. So I would say, fun, like, if you zoom out of all the specific questions, um, that's the big question that, that teens are asking. And they're wanting to know where they can go for answers, who they can go to, who they can trust. Um, now, more specifically, some answers that or some questions that I've heard teens ask this this last year here, um, junior hires, has been um, just on kind of the church's stance on mm -hmm. different topics. I we had a girl come up to one of our youth leaders and ask, um, "So my friend is bisexual." How come you guys hate her hmm. or something or or why can't she come to church and and it really just breaks our heart because those are the answers that that they were given hmm. now whether they were given that from churches who who felt like that was the right answer that we are to hate them um and and wrongfully so um or whether that was the world saying um you know the church you can't go to the church because they hate you and once again just is is not the truth um regardless of how it happened that's the answers that they had been given and and i was i was saddened by the the reality that that's what they were thinking and that's what they were given but at the same time i was also kind of relieved to be like well i'm glad they were willing to ask that right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. because i know other students have that same question and that same idea Mm -hmm. but they're too afraid to ask or they don't know if we're tr if we're trustworthy enough to ask that question mm -hmm. right um, so i think and and maybe this is jumping down the road too much in in trying to solve uh, such a big issue but um, i think the best thing we can do as as parents and as the church is to foster that trusting relationship to right. say whatever your question is you can come to me and and know 
that I'm going to give you an honest answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to dumb it down and, and use all this euphemism so that you don't really understand what my answer is and you just leave more confused. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm going to talk straight to you. And I think that's the refreshing attitude that Generation Z is really looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, and I think that that's, I think you hit on something so key there that, that the church, we, we have to answer these questions satisfyingly and we have to start looking back on the conversations that we were having and mm-hmm. realize, okay, well, there were some major failings in that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did a cheap job. Um, I, you know, I can only speak to the 90s a little bit because I was a kid there, but the 90s and the early 2000s, and I'm, I'm presuming you know, the decades preceding those, we did a cheap job of talking about sexuality. Our world, Absolutely. Um, something mm-hmm. crazy happened you know, in the 60s with birth control and the sexual revolution, mm-hmm. and things changed significantly. Um, and the church should have been a place that had some really good answers. Uh, and we, it seems to me like we kind of stuck our fingers in our ears and just said, la, 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 la. <laughs> yep. And and then just said, like, no, 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 no. we just want to stay away from all this instead of saying, hold up, the path you're going down is, is, is that path that Proverbs talks about or one of those where it says that there's a path that seems good to man which, end, which ends in death. Mm-hmm. Um, and our world is doing that. Our world is going down these paths that seem good to mankind, but their end is in death. Um, and, and so we need to explain that, you know, we need yeah. to not just say that's a bad path. Don't do it. The Bible says, no, yeah. we need to be able to say, well, this is why, because the Bible is not irrational. The Bible mm-hmm. isn't silly. The Bible isn't, isn't a list of obnoxious rules. There, there's a reason behind when, when God says, don't do this. It's not because he's a control freak. He's the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. He's in control. <laughs> he's not insecure about whether or not he's in control. Right. Um, when he says that it's because he says, look, I've designed the world this way. And if you want life and blessing and goodness, these are the ways you get it. Mm-hmm. And those are the ways you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, an analogy my dad likes to use a lot, and I think David Stockton used it in a sermon not too long ago, is, you know, if, if you're in a semi-truck and you see a bridge that says, uh, you know, no vehicles over whatever, 15 feet, and you mm-hmm. know that your truck is 20 feet tall, um, that's not the same as the speed limit. You know, you can't look around and say, well, there's no police officers. I think Mm -hmm. I can get away with this. I'm going to drive under that 15 foot bridge with my 20 foot semi and I'll be okay. No, that law is there for a reason Mm -hmm. because you're going to have some very bad consequences, regardless of whether or not you get a ticket, regardless of whether or not there's a police officer there. If you choose to ignore that law and God's Mm -hmm. laws are that way, they're not arbitrary. They're not there for no reason. And, And the thing is, is sometimes it takes some digging for us to understand why it is that the things that God says are are dangerous are dangerous mm-hmm. because sometimes it's not intuitive for us. For example, like we were just talking about with pornography, you know, it's, it's it makes a lot of sense to just say, well, what's the damage here? Mm. You know, like if if the people on the other side of the screen were not were you know if that was consensual, if that was a job that they chose to do, which is not always the case, but if that were the case, um, you know, no one seems to be getting hurt here. So what's wrong? You know, why not look at these images on the screen? It, it, it doesn't seem to be harming anyone. Well, what you don't understand is the way your brain works and the way it's... Right. And, yeah, and, yeah. and you say, well, I'm not married. Well, yeah, it's still it's still investing in something that's going to really, really damage mm-hmm. your marriage. The truth is God says, you know, hey, this is what I want for your sexuality because he wants you to have a wonderful experience, sexually mm-hmm. speaking, because he made that. You know, he didn't... He, he's, it, sex is not something that God looks at and says, oh, that's gross and bad and evil and wicked. Mm-hmm. Sex is something that is so powerful that he created that it's so very twistable and pervertible. Right. Um, and so he says, I want you to have the best experience here. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of thinking to answer those questions. And then the other thing is that, uh, you know, towards what you were saying and that, that girl and her responses, I think that the church, we've had some very wrong answers here. Mm-hmm. We live in a culture in the West that for some reason is on both sides of the spectrum is obsessed with sex. Um, but only recently have I started to realize that this is not the way the entire world works. Um, I think it's a common obsession in humankind, um, but not every culture in the world is absolutely 100% obsessed with sex. I was recently spending time uh, in Japan with a friend of mine who's a missionary there, uh, and he, we, you know, we were talking about the bathhouses they, they, they have there where you go in and you're naked and you kind of do the thing. And, and nowadays they're separated uh, you know, by sex, but, um, but he said, you know, uh, earlier on last century, that wasn't the case. 
um, the bathhouses were mixed um, and it wasn't ever an issue. There really just were not significant problems. And I'm sure that there were some here and there, but for the most part, you know, having a bunch of people who usually walk around with clothes on, walking around men and women naked, wasn't an issue in that culture. It only became an issue when Western pornography entered the scene. Hmm. Um, and Japanese culture, you know, since then has, has you know, has dove pretty deep into some of our struggles and our issues that right, we brought yeah, there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just not something that everyone is dealing with the same way. And so the church, we've had some um, pretty damaging responses out yeah. of fear, I think, mm. because we've... Uh, and also the same kind of thing that you see, you know, maybe in elementary school or junior high where, you know, there's a kid who's insecure um, because maybe he's a little bit overweight. And so what does he do? He goes and finds the only kid at school who's more overweight than him, and he picks on that kid. And so I think we've kind of done that in particular with uh, with some of the sins and temptations of homosexuality right, yeah. in the past in the church where we've said, well, I'm insecure because I'm sexually broken. Um, so who can I find who mm. sticks out a mm. little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we picked a, you know, a, a more uncommon sexual temptation and we picked on that enough and we cast that out enough. And then, um, and then those of us in the church who were struggling with it, we just made sure that we never told anyone. Hmm. Um, hmm. And I'm really glad that that's starting to be not the case anymore, that we're yeah. starting to say, no, actually, this isn't any different from any other sexual brokenness. Um, our statement that this is so much worse than all the other stuff is, is not actually like that. That doesn't actually come from the Bible. It comes from insecurity and fear. Um, and that at, at the core of almost all sexual brokenness is the same kind of brokenness, is the mm-hmm. same kind of issues and the same kind of stuff. And, and no, we don't hate that girl. Mm. And yes, that girl is welcome to come to youth group. You yep. know, and I'm positive that that's the response that your youth leader gave. Mm-hmm. And I'm positive that that's the response that you followed up with. You know, we have tons of kids coming in and out of the high school youth group who are questioning their sexuality or aren't even questioning it at all. You know, I, you have students coming in, you know, girls bring in their girlfriends and the occasional guy bring in their guy friend or, or boyfriend. Um, and it's not, it's not any more of an issue than any other sin. And we love those students and we introduce them to Jesus and we trust the fact that they're going to start asking questions at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is going to point them to a path of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really just not interested in having any kids show up and me give them the checklist of all the things that they need to change. Totally. Um, yeah. because I know that the Holy Spirit's going to do that if they get to know Jesus. And I just don't think any particular sin is more of a barrier than any other sin. Mm -hmm. Alec, I think you do bring up a really awesome point where you're talking about the idea of fear in the way that the church has responded to the whole issue of sexuality historically. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, obviously it's different when you're reading the Bible because the Bible does address very, very specific sexual issues that Mm -hmm. we would be so ashamed to address in Western society. And I mean, I'm not going to take time to dive into all the reasons why that probably is the way that it is. Mm But, I mean, if you, you brought up the idea of the sexual revolution in the 60s, and really that was a response in culture to a very frigid legalistic system that had existed prior to that, which was like, we're not talking about sexuality openly. It's kind of this remnant of the Victorian era where you just don't talk about things that don't happen in the public sphere. Um, and so culture responded very, very strongly saying, like, no, we're not going to um, be okay with not addressing this very important part of our lives. And the church, I think what we did universally across the church in the West as we entrenched ourselves even deeper mm-hmm. and we're like, we're just not going to address that. The world can just do what it's going to do and we're going to continue to follow Jesus in our own little corner. And um, I think that's been extraordinarily damaging because for the last number of decades, the the discourse about sexuality basically has been boiled down to don't from the church. And <laughs> that's kind of what we were just talking about right before this conversation is, you know, many of us, when we were growing up, we, if we ever had convers or wanted to have conversations about sexuality with the church, we pretty much got a one word answer, you know, like, okay, you don't have sex outside marriage. Once you do, or once you get married, then you do, but you don't mm-hmm. really understand what that's all about. And, and that's pretty much about as far as the conversation mm-hmm. goes. And I think it's really wonderful now that the church really is starting to feel comfortable enough to actually address some of these issues out of necessity. We have Mm -hmm. to. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. losing the world and we're losing our youth if we don't offer satisfactory Mm -hmm. answers to the big questions that they're asking. And that's why, I mean, I applaud both of you for being in the positions that you're in because you are fighting an uphill battle in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think there is hope because... Here we are. We're talking about sexuality, yeah. and we just talked about it yesterday in in main, in, in main sanctuary and in, in church. Mm-hmm. We talked about it the week prior, um, and the week prior to that. But this is uncommon. I think mm-hmm. in in my entire time in church for the last 
few decades, I think I've heard maybe four, three, four, five mm-hmm. uh, sermons on sexuality and youth group, probably about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we do in order to kind of allow culture to know, hey, we're, we're actually open to discussing mm-hmm. this now. We're no longer in kind of the dark ages of fundamentalism. Like we're actually able to kind of dive into these questions. Yeah. How would you bridge that gap? Because there, there's obviously a pretty significant gap. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would say, um, if you've ever taken any sort of public speaking class, then you know mm-hmm. what you say is as important as how you say it. Right. And I think this topic is is no different. That we're we're beginning to talk about sexuality in churches. I think is a great first step. But sometimes it can come across as okay, we're going to talk about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Let's get this over with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind of dread um, mm-hmm. of like, okay, it's another sex series. Everyone get ready. Um, which which almost still communicates that outside of this series, this topic is taboo still. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I feel like uh, we can we can almost slip into that where it's like, oh, well, we're talking about it, but we're not really liking it. And people mm-hmm. are, are getting that message and they can kind of sense how you're saying something. And so I think um, it's been great to be able to talk about sexuality and, and start spearheading that topic and actually giving some good answers. Um, but I think, uh, and, and like I said, my, what my youth pastor did for me that was really healing is sexuality was just another topic. Mm-hmm. Like one week we were talking about communion and the next week we were talking about sexuality and, and he really communicated it with the same tone and the same amount of truth and the mm-hmm. same um, weightiness um, because it's all life. It's all about life. And, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and so talking, having sexuality just be a part of the conversation and opening it up and saying, hey, we might be talking about something that's totally unrelated to sexuality, but that doesn't mean that sexuality is off the table now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that, good. That, just kind of leaving that door open, I guess, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to say we, we want to engage in, in, in helpful discussion about this. Um, we don't want to just, and I think that's the other part is, is discussion is key as opposed to standing on a stage and telling people what they need to believe. Um, having healthy discussion is, is always more beneficial to, Mm -hmm. um, to take that humble road and say, Hey, look, this is, this is what we've experienced. This is what God's word says. Here's, here's the science that's backing that up. Mm -hmm. Here's what's going on. What have you heard? What are you, what are your thoughts? Um, and opening up that discussion, um, I think is, is key. Yeah, totally. Well, I think you're hitting on something too, and I'd expand it a little bit. Uh, and I think you meant this under the umbrella, what you were just saying, but, um, but to include the idea of having a discussion with, you know, with the world, um, Mm. because the world, uh, is formulating ideas that are, uh, largely counter biblical, Mm -hmm. but they're also, they're reacting uh, in large part to some of our mm, errors um, and our misunderstandings. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times the conclusions that the world is coming to might be a little bit off, but we really need to humanize the other side of the conversation and start saying, okay, w- what's foundational to what you're saying and where's the truth in that? Because the world is not full of idiots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people who disagree with Jesus, they're not morons. They're still made in the image of Jesus. They're still totally. smart, wise yeah. individuals who are trying to navigate a complex situation in the world in an area that, that our culture is clearly failing in. And they're trying to come up with answers, not because they're evil and wicked and the enemy, but because they're trying to do something good in the world. Um, and so we need to pay attention to that. And we need to say, okay, is that in response to something that we said that was wrong? So again, like yesterday, you know, my message, I honed in on the fact that I really think we've gotten the conversation on purity wrong. Right. We've focused in on purity as this thing that needs to be maintained, right? The purity card. And, and actually part of what initiated my thinking about this a couple of years ago was listening to someone who really, really, really is in the far left side of the spectrum, who really, really, really hates a lot of what the Bible says about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they were harping on the word purity card. And I thought, yeah, you're right. You know, like... That's a damaging thought. And and I started looking in, in the Bible and I realized, yeah, the Bible 
does not really talk about purity as this thing that we need to hold on to and maintain or else we lose it and it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. When the Bible talks about purity, it's talking about redemption, it's talking about sanctification, it's talking not about remaining pure, but becoming pure. Yeah. Um, and that's foundational to the gospel. And somehow we have insulated uh, our sexuality from, uh, from the gospel. You know, we've, we've believed that Jesus will forgive you, but you'll never find any healing because, you know, you were sexually immoral, because you were sexually broken, mm-hmm. that, that maybe in eternity, maybe in the resurrection, maybe something will change. But right now, you know, I mean, how many times have I more or less heard, you know, the thought that Jesus will forgive you, but you're still going to live with the consequences and ramifications of your sexual sin for the rest of your life? And that's not actually been my experience. Um, I, I have not lived with the consequences and ramifications of my sexual sin and brokenness. I've found healing, like like pretty much complete and total healing and freedom. Um, and it's it's shocked me to see how how easy it's been in the Lord. Now it's been a slow and a lengthy process, you know. Um, it's evident to me that the same God who invented trees and gardens and things that take a long time to grow is the same God who's healing me. Um, but he's pretty powerful and, and pretty thorough in that. And so I think we really need to pay attention to that. Um, I think we really need to pay attention to when the world says, wait a minute, why why are you singling out this sin right. uh, and yeah. not that sin? And we need to say, yeah, is that actually in the scripture? Um, and, and, and I think the conclusions we'll come to are really different. I think another thing we really need to ask ourselves is, um, so the world tells us it's not satisfying enough to simply say because it's in the Bible. And that is a valid response, right? It should be enough for me as I follow Jesus to say, what does the Bible really say? I'm going to trust the Bible as long as I make sure that I am understanding what actually the Bible says, what actually (laughs) God is saying, and I'm not misunderstanding because a lot of dangerous things happen when we misunderstand. And it's very easy to misunderstand the scriptures, and and we've all done it. and so that should be enough for me, though, to say, no, this is really what the scripture says. This is really what God says. But but it's not a satisfying answer for a lot of people. Um, and I believe that the God who wrote the Bible uh, also wrote the world. Um, mm. And I believe that there's consistency in his logic and uh, his reasoning and the way that works. And I believe that any answer that you can find in the scripture, there's evidence for it outside of the scripture. Mm. And so when the Bible says, look, you, you really, 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 really should be faithful to your spouse... Um, you really, 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 really should wait until there's a covenant relationship before you're engaging in sexual intimacy. Um, maybe for me, it's enough to say that I trust the Bible, I trust Jesus on that. Um, but I think there's reasons for that, and I think we ought to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that'd be a fun thing. Maybe if we can bounce around a little bit, is uh, you know some of our perspectives on that. I, you know, I think mm-hmm. you know we kind of hit some of why why we would say, okay, Jesus says you know lust in your head, like that's a bad thing. We hit that with the conversation on pornography. Some of those reasons. Um, I, you know, I'm curious even what what you guys think. Not to steal your job of asking the <laughs> yeah, questions. Yeah, no, here, no, I don't worry about but it. But I'm curious all. a little bit your guys's <laughs> thoughts, um, and I have a couple too. But on um, you know, why, why does the Bible say that, that we should wait until we're married to have sex with someone? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys got a response to that or I can, it's a hard question. I, I've is. been chewing on this yeah. question for, for quite a while myself. Um, but, uh, I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll answer maybe my question answer again. Maybe. question. <laughs> Cause I've been thinking about this. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I think one of the reasons, uh, uh, is that that intimacy really needs to be in check with covenant um, mm-hmm. when and in, in, in commitment, right? So when intimacy supersedes commitment, um, we're in a dangerous situation mm. um, and a very insecure situation. And that really applies on any level in the uh, in the romantic relationship spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. If you are, you know, you know, teenager or a single person and you're at a party and you see a girl you like, and she walks up and you've never talked to her, you're not dating or whatever, she walks up and you know, she just plants one on you. And then uh, and you're like, that was great, that was really cool, I just got a kiss from this pretty girl, you know what I mean? And then a few months later, you know, uh, you're, you're dating you know, this person that originally you didn't know, but you, know, you were kissing and there was no commitment, there was no friendship, there was no dating relationship, no basic level of some sort of loose c- commitment that you get mm-hmm. in a dating relationship. Now you find yourself in a situation where you see that she likes the guy across the room. And you think, well, is she going to go up and 
kiss that guy? Yeah. What have they already done? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I mean, and, and and this could be reversed too. You know, we could be talking about a guy for sure. I mean, this is like it's like a trending topic on Instagram is guys cheating for somehow is something that people like to laugh about on Instagram. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, and and you know, and their girlfriends, you know, sorting through their phones and looking for evidence of the cheating. Mm-hmm. You find this because why and why is that? Huh. It's because because you started the relationship with intimacy that was out of whack with the covenant right, with the commitment yeah, yeah. um and so you're scared and so what happens so we'll, okay now we move along forward we're in a relationship we love each other we care for each other we're not married there's no covenant and now we're sleeping together why because we really love each other and we really like we want to stay with each other but we haven't committed to each other we have a sense of propriety in our hearts maybe we have a desire to stay together forever but there's been no covenant and so then you sleep together and a little while later down the road you get married and now you're married, you've been married a few years, and now there's someone you know, that you can see your spouse is attracted to. Because that happens, because that's life, right? Because there's other human beings who are attractive in so many other facets of who they are. And now you're worried because, well, if my spouse would sleep with me before there was covenant, what's to keep them from sleeping with this person without covenant? Hmm. And then flip that on its head and say, well, maybe you, maybe you waited. Maybe you yeah. didn't sleep with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you didn't sleep with each, forget about someone else, maybe you didn't sleep with each other before you were married. And now you see your spouse has a crush on someone years down the road, you're having a difficult time. You know, maybe you're frustrated with each other. Maybe you've been a bit of a jerk um, and your spouse has good reason to be mad at you. And you see that there's this person in the office that they're attracted to. And because you guys didn't sleep with each other before covenant, before you, because you knew that that intimacy um, was very important to your spouse, even when it was you who they loved and married, to stay in check and below the mm-hmm. level of covenant, you're a lot less worried. Yeah. Because if they wouldn't sleep with me before there was covenant, I have a lot less reason to think that they would sleep with that person before there was covenant. And there's actually studies mm-hmm. that back this up. Um, there's a study that was done by Brigham Young University, which, okay, so we're in Utah, so... Um, <laughs> you know, maybe there, there could be some, uh, some different places to get those studies, but I think there's validity to it, uh, nonetheless. Um, but that, uh, that partners, so within the first five, it looked at the divorce rates within the first five years of a marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, partners who had not slept with anyone at all before being married uh, were 0.5% likely to get, uh, to get divor- divorced uh, in those first five years of marriage. Um, Less likely? So so there were, no, there was a 0.5% chance that they were going to get divorced. Oh, I see. see, Sorry. Um, The biggest, and so then we'll progress through, you know, maybe they slept with just each other, um, then two two sexual partners before marriage, and then there's a big gap up to 10. And we look at the percentage shifts, and what's interesting is this next shift between zero sexual partners before marriage and one, so only sleeping with the person who would become your spouse, that number jumps up from half a percent to 22%. Wow. 20, so if the only person you slept with before you got married is you, the person who became your spouse, you got a 22%, you're 22% more likely to get divorced, divorced in those first five years. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that that trend would continue, right? There'd be a huge hike up. Maybe you'd go to 44 if they slept with someone else. Right. No, it's only 30%. So if you slept with someone else other than your spouse before you got married, you're only 30% versus the 22% if it was only your spouse. And then you'd think again, no, actually, it doesn't hike up any further. It actually levels off. So if you've slept with 10% versus, or sorry, 10 people before you got married versus only your spouse and one other person, you're only 33% likely to get a divorce. So Mm -hmm. by far, the biggest gap is between slept with no one, half a percent, uh, chance of getting divorced and slept with only you, my spouse, before we got married, 22%. 22%. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and I think for me, like, this this is the challenge that we're facing right now in the church is that it's not a satisfactory answer just to say, the Bible says so, just, so just let that be enough. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, in my personal experience, if that was more of the conversation, it'd be more compelling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I grew up in the church for the most part and receive the biblical teaching about like, okay, here's all the reasons why you shouldn't have sex before marriage and stuff like that. And my, and my wife and I did wait until we were married to, um, to be together. And 
but that that's not the situation for everybody. You know what I mean? Like by God's grace, you know what I mean? We're both in a position where we kind of heeded the warning that was just pretty much like the Bible says so, so do it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But what about somebody who may not have the same relationship with the Lord that uh, my wife and I had, or, you know, somebody that's kind of on the fence about, okay, can the Bible really be trusted? Because that is something Mm -hmm. that's definitely in question right now in society. And I think that providing evidence that's outside of just, here's what the scripture says, so so just go apply it. I think that's really, really, really important. And I'm really glad that both of you are kind of walking that line of like the, the scripture for sure has the ultimate authority. Like we're not going to question that. But if it's true, then there should be evidence that goes along with that, right? Mm-hmm. And, what you, and what you're showing right now, Alec, is okay, not only does the Bible say this, but there's evidence outside of in the world that God created that points to that same truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Um, that's huge Mm -hmm. as far as actually bridging the gap because I do think that as far as the world goes, when they're looking at the church, what they're oftentimes seeing is an institution that's outdated and irrelevant to the issues that are um, pertinent to Mm -hmm. modern society, Mm -hmm. which if we're going to kind of bridge that gap and say, no, that's not the case at all, then we need to kind of meet people on their own turf. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If If we're coming at people and saying, this is what the Bible says, but they don't believe in the authority of scripture. It's not, you're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot in in the church right now is people are still trying to hold up signs and say, this is what the Bible says, believe it. But if the the world itself doesn't have any value for scripture, they're Mm -hmm. not, we're not meeting them on the same terms as far as um, authority. Mm -hmm. And so I think that stuff like this kind of bridges that gap and they're saying, okay, well, we both agree in the validity of science, Mm -hmm. right? We're both saying, okay, um, these facts and figures kind of speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then say, did you know the Bible also kind yeah. of goes along with that. I think that goes a lot further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's exciting to me that like every single time I hear one of these studies, I'm like, yeah. yes, that's like validation yeah. that the Bible really is authoritative and 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 knows what it's talking yeah. about. You know what I mean? And it's enough for you and me to say, look, I've, I've tested this. I've tried this. I believe mm-hmm. the Bible is valid. So the Bible is enough for me to stop just for me. Yeah. Um, but, but it is independently verifiable yeah. and, and that is really important. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's interesting because here's, here's another one of those pivotal shifts too, is like, we've put ourselves in this position where the world is saying we want more sex and it sounds like the church is saying we want less sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, um, if you, if you look at it, um, if, if the goal is more and better sex, um, the church has the answer. Jesus has the answer, you know, like he, Mm -hmm. like the, the, and and that's, and I won't pull any of these studies out. I don't have them in front of me too, but, um, but studies are showing that people in healthy marriages are having way more and way more satisfying sex than people who are going for the one night stands and who are living their life on Tinder. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, it, the truth is what God says leads to more and better sex. Um, now are there lots of other issues? I mean, is it a promise that, that you know oh if you do all of these things and if you don't sleep with anyone before you get married and if you don't have a pornography addiction like that you're going to have a healthy marriage and you're going to have lots of sex and it's going to be great and you're going to have no problems no it's not a promise absolutely 100 percent sexuality and our relationships are complicated and there's a lot of work that goes into that but statistically um healthy marriages between two people who really love each other and are faithful they're having more sex and they're having better sex Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really, it's just kind of ironic, you know, uh, yeah. that, that the route to that is actually saying, no, I'm, I'm going to put boundaries on yeah. this. Um, that's and, good. and that's going to lead to more freedom. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, the fundamental difference here that, that the, the Bible and the church has as the answer versus the answers that the world is giving is that the, the world is constantly trying to convince us that sex is purely just a physical thing. Mm-hmm. It's a f- physical act. It's like. And so they, they get away with these answers because if you believe that sex is just this physical act, mm-hmm. then, yeah, then, I mean, it, if it was just like driving, then the only way you really get better at driving is by driving a bunch of different cars or going taking it for a test drive. How do I know if I like driving the car until I drive the car? And, and so they apply mm-hmm. those principles to mm-hmm. sex saying, go have sex with at least 10 people before you nail down one because then you'll find out what you like. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. But, but it's so damaging because the way they're actually viewing sex is is skewed, saying that it's just a physical thing. Mm-hmm. Because um, anyone who who has reaped the benefits of of following what the scriptures say and and has stayed faithful and has um, waited for marriage has 
I feel like um, I don't know how you wouldn't be able to to have that blessing of realizing that, wow, there's so much safety and security mm-hmm. and so much blessing in doing it God's way because it is more than just a physical thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Man, the connectedness and the the intimacy that you're able to reach with someone knowing that I'm the first one that you've done this with and and I know that you're not going to just... I know that you're not in the business of just going around and doing this with anyone. Right. Yeah. Man, that 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 is just such a, a beautiful gift um, mm-hmm. to be able to partake in because sex is not just a physical yeah. thing. Well, and how boring if it is? Because the truth yeah. is, the physical component of sex, yes, yeah, is pretty cool. But yeah. it's I it, it's just not when we have all these conversations, we're in danger mm-hmm. of doing something, and making it way more than it is right the physical component of sex it's cool it's great you know i'm not complaining but like it's not that big of a deal yeah Mm -hmm. and we are so obsessed with it on both sides of the component one of the first things you know i i recognize when i got married is yeah like everything that is of profound value in this is not really possible outside of a covenant relationship totally the best parts of this are just you know it's just it's it, it's not really possible without faithfulness and and um, you know and just to to circle back to that main point of my message yesterday, you're not without hope ever though yeah you know it's yeah it's not as though if you're not in in that situation where you know you and your spouse have never slept with anyone before that ah, you'll never get the best parts of sex you'll never get that intimacy you'll never get that commitment you'll never get that safety and that security of the covenant that's not how it works it's purity because again sexual purity is something that that can be obtained regardless of who you are and it comes through a process of letting Jesus wash you um, of, of, of recognizing that he's forgiven you and it comes through a process of abstaining from sexual immorality and that's not just something that comes um, from saying well now that I'm a Christian I'll never sin again sexually speaking it comes from okay so I have an addiction and I'm climbing out of that addiction mm-hmm. and so today you know I managed to go the whole day without falling in you know to sexual immorality and tomorrow maybe I went two days and then maybe maybe I go for a three-month stretch and then maybe I'm back deep in the hole for another two months you know and then you climb out I mean th- th- this is it's still something that can mm-hmm. be built yeah. um, and you're never hopeless when it comes to sexual purity. There is no one in this world who is incapable of being washed and made clean in body, mind, soul, and spirit when it comes to their sexuality. And I think that's a message that we really need to sink our teeth into because I think that's one of those places where we have, we have presented the opposite message. And so, yeah, yeah. I, that totally made me remember or reminded me of the story in the Bible where the religious leaders of the time, um, brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they throw her before Jesus. I mean, she's probably naked if she's caught in the act, right? How humiliating and, and so much shame that she's feeling. And these religious mm-hmm. leaders think they're doing the right thing, condemning her. And what's so mind-blowing about that, that story is that the woman leaves with anything but condemnation. Mm-hmm. The people in the story that get condemned are the religious leaders Mm -hmm. who are pointing fingers. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey, all right, you without any sin, you can throw the first stone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he kind of just goes back to writing in the sand, right? And he looks up and slowly they have all left and it's just him and this woman deep in her shame, totally exposed, set up for this trap. Um, And he looks at her and he says, hey, where are all your accusers? They all left Jesus, and 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 so miraculous to see Jesus's loving um, nature of just looking at her and say, "Yeah, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more." Mm-hmm. Now that is the redemptive um, qualities of God that you're talking about. That is the washing right there. The the person who leaves that circle forgiven and clean and cleansed and Mm -hmm. and free is the woman caught in adultery Mm -hmm. yeah she's not the one that gets condemned she's not the Mm -hmm. one that is made out to be um, the evil one or the the dirty sinner no it's actually the religious leaders Mm -hmm. who are painted Mm -hmm. in that light and and unfortunately the church has oftentimes followed the example of the religious leaders Mm -hmm. We've pulled people out of the shadows and thrown them down and says, Jesus hates you. 
I can't believe that you would live this way. I'm disgusted by you. Mm-hmm. And that, I, I feel like, just breaks Jesus' heart because that's so not him. Mm-hmm. Right. He's yeah. the one that looks at them and says, I'm willing to clean you up and pull you out of that mess because mm-hmm. that life is not fulfilling. And what I have for you is so much better. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, we, need, we really need to become a place of safety and, and refuge for people who are struggling with their sexuality, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, in, in any facet, who are struggling with sexual brokenness, and and the and the most grievous thing is that's not the case. Yeah, um, I think it, in in many uh, pockets of the church, it's becoming the case. I certainly mm-hmm. think that here at Living Streams, that we're really trying to be a safe place for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at the early church, when you pay attention, it's so. F- so frustrating that for so long we've looked at some of these passages about sexuality in the New Testament and come out of them with this belief that, oh, this sin or that sin is worse. Mm-hmm. But when you pay a little bit closer attention, uh, and I think in 1 Corinthians, I think 6, you know, uh, Melissa yeah. taught on that a little yeah. while ago, when it's listing off all of these sins, you know, among them, you know, adultery, idolatry, homosexuality, and all these things, and, and it says, and such do, do not inherit the kingdom of God. And we stop right there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's infuriating to me that we stop right there. Right. Because you read on, and Paul says, and such were some of you, but you've been mm. washed, you've been made clean. Mm. Yeah. You know, Paul is saying, hey, I mean, Corinth was essentially the Las Vegas or the Ibiza of the day. Yep. You know, it was a place of, of, of massive, you know, orgies and erotic pleasure. And I mean, that's, that's where people went to do that. Yeah. And, um, Uh, And the church coming out of that didn't magically, you know, stop having a problem with that. Um, And and Paul is saying, look, you've come out of this. Mm -hmm. Look, if 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 you are attracted to men or women, people of the same sex, if you're struggling with your gender identity, if you are addicted to pornography, if you're sleeping with one person after the other after the other, if you have broken your marriage, Mm -hmm. you have a place here in this church. Um, and you've been washed and you've been made, made clean and you are no longer those things. Your identity is no longer in your sexuality. It's no longer in your brokenness. It's your, your name is no longer found in who you sleep with or who you're attracted yeah. to. It's found in Jesus. Yeah. You know, and we talked again, Th- Thessalonians, you know, Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonia, guys, stop sexually exploiting each other. That like gives me like, I cringe when I yeah. realize that the Bible, like this guy is talking to the church and he's saying, you guys are sexually exploiting each other. Mm-hmm. gross man like like i don't know i mean we got some sexual brokenness but and and certainly there i mean that is a thing in the church you know but i just feel like you you want to write off any church where people are sexually exploiting each other and say they're worse than me mm-hmm. you know well, well they're not worse than the churches in the bible yeah. um, <laughs> so maybe we ought to be a place that's safe for mm-hmm. people who are so broken that um they're not only victims but almost you know you know, have stepped into some sinfulness and victimizing themselves. And maybe we need to be a, a place of, of healing for that, mm, not a place absolutely. of refuge for that activity to continue by any stretch of the imagination, but a, a place for people to step out of that and to realize yeah. that no human on this world is the enemy, mm-hmm. um, that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but spirits and principalities. And no human on this world is beyond the redemption of Jesus Christ, right. no matter their brokenness. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. And I think, I mean, the point that I I really want to carry out of this entire conversation is that if you look at the Bible and and even in our own conversation here, like the conversation may have shifted a little bit with the introduction of technology and that kind of stuff, but these are not new Mm -hmm. things we're dealing with. You know what I mean? And the hope that's offered in the scripture is absolutely every bit as relevant today as it was then. I mean, if you look at, and I love how you brought up the idea of Corinth, you know, I think we get this idea in the Western church that the world is getting so much worse and like sexually we're in such a worse position than we were a few decades ago or whatever. And I I understand why people say that I really do. But at the end of the day, what they were dealing with in the New Testament is the same. It's the same kind of stuff. And the hope that was offered then is the same hope that we have now. And I think I really love that we are kind of as a church beginning to demystify this whole topic of sexuality and be like, this is an important part of life, but it is a part of life nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially in that first Corinthians six passage you brought up, I love how, uh, it's the idea of homosexuality and sexual immorality are listed right alongside things that 
all of us can relate to on a very deep level. I mean, it's like people are disobedient to parents and like slanderers and all these different things like that we don't necessarily like gossip. We don't really necessarily think of on the same level, mm-hmm. but the Apostle Paul seemed to think of them all on the same level because he listed this entire thing. And somehow as a church, we've pulled out a few select sins that we mm-hmm. really want to say, no, this is the really bad one. But the hope is still offered that it doesn't matter what kind of sin you're dealing with there's still hope in Christ for restoration. And I think that that's really the beautiful thing. Even in this series we're talking about, like David said this line a number of times, I brought brought it up in every single podcast. God doesn't want to make you good at church. He wants to make you good at life. Mm -hmm. And life is all-encompassing. And I Mm -hmm. love how you brought up the idea idea of purity being a holistic thing. It's not just about your sexuality. It's about the way that you live your entire life. Mm -hmm. And I really think that that is where the church needs to head in that direction, where we're offering hope for this one particular issue. But more, more than that, we're saying the gospel is holistic. It deals with all of life, not just mm-hmm. seg- like seg- segmented portions of it, if that makes sense. So I really appreciate both of you being here and kind of tackling this big um, topic that is one that we don't really talk about a ton, but both of you seem super comfortable with just kind of diving in, and I really, really appreciate that, and I think that that is where we really need to go. Um, so yeah, thank you both, and I look forward to next time. Alec, it may, maybe uh, in a couple months, and hopefully we can have you around too, Jeremy. There's, it's been awesome having a conversation with you as well. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening once again to the Living Streams podcast. Make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any future content that we'll be rolling out soon. Thank you. This has been a production of Living Streams Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you like what you heard, please visit us at livingstreams.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.